0: Hello and welcome to Everyday Oral Surgery. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. I am an oral and maxillofacial surgeon practicing in Denver, Colorado. The goal of this podcast is to connect, learn, and inspire. In this podcast, you'll be hearing from OMS surgeons all over the globe discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. Most information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions, so please supplement what you learn here with approved research studies. If you are a regular follower of the podcast, please go to our website, everydayearlsurgery.com and register to receive newsletters and find links to our social media accounts. Most importantly, if you would like to be interviewed on the podcast or know someone who you'd like to hear from, or if there's a topic you'd like to hear about, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com. Without further ado, please enjoy today's episode. Hey guys, real quick before we start the podcast today, I've gotten a ton of great feedback on the Anesthesia Case Review podcast we've been doing lately. Several listeners have requested more episodes like that, so it's no small task to find those cases that are pertinent to what we do. It would greatly help me if the listeners could submit cases to me that we could review on the podcast. The cases, of course, would be totally anonymous and no patient or doctor identifiers would be used. We would just be reviewing the basic events of the case and then pulling out any learning points that we can. Reviewing these anesthesia and or surgical cases is one of the most powerful ways we have to learn and kind of remember the important methods we have of keeping our patients safe. So if you would like to review your own cases with me on the podcast, that would be fantastic. However, if you'd rather not, I'm totally fine reviewing those with the guests we usually review them with. Please email those cases to me at grantstuky at gmail.com and we can get those reviewed and help everyone learn together. Sorry for the interruption. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to another episode today. I'm with Dr. Ben Heckler. He's an oral max surgeon practicing in North Carolina. Ben, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Of course, Grant. Good to be chatting with you again.
0: Yes. My brother Jake was telling me he was doing this weekend work course or tuning in to you and Andrew Yenzer. And it sounds like it's just a phenomenal course and what a great resource. So I appreciate you doing that. Oh, absolutely. It's great. I, I mean, doing mock boards is
1: fabulous. We, you know, have done them for a while. I know he has, there's been involved in them and uh, it's just great. I mean, it, it's a great opportunity for us as well to keep us learning and keeps us honest with everything. So I'm glad he enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. Well, we got a great topic today, but before we get into that, a couple things I wanted to run by you. Some clinical pro tips from myself and just see if they actually are pro tips because you're the pro master master pro pearl man so let's see if you deem these any of any value because i was just doing my stuff this week and i thought i wonder if people know about this this first pro tip it may not even be one this is kind of stupid but so you know i use the dental syringes and we put the carpules in them you know lidocaine septicane marcaine and when you load them I don't, you know, you know how there, it, there's like the little harpoon that goes into yep. the back of the plunger, right? Mm-hmm. This is minutia stuff, right? Like you may not even think this is anything, but I've been doing this for long enough that I start thinking about this stuff. I figured out because what I do is I hand, you know, the stuff. So like my assistant will hand me the syringe loaded, and I'll inject, and then I'll pull back, and then take the carpal out. They'll hand me a new carpal, and we kind of do it like. Like that. And I know people do, or the assistant, they have two syringes and they're loading one and then they're just keep handing one that's already loaded. Right. That's a good technique too. I just noticed, because one thing that annoys me, right, is when you're pulling back to release the cartridge from the syringe, right? Usually the harpoon is stuck on the plunger, right? And so you have to do this. You pull it back, take the carpiole out, take your thumb or whatever, and like push off and get the plunger off of the harpoon we've all been there yes uh, yeah it sounds like you experienced this as well and so that's just one more thing that to me takes up time it's uh, we're, we're talking about seconds here but then also there's potential for you to rip your glove on the stupid harpoon and you're trying to flip up the plunger and so this isn't probably a novel concept but i realized when i pull back on the plunger all the way out and then push it back in and i twist it like loosens the harpoon and it leaves the plunger in the carpule so you don't have to do the whole flick it off with your finger thing it's like and it's a pretty fast thing you go out in twist and then it's it's off and then boom you take the carpule and you don't have to even touch the plunger so this is one of those nascar type ideas that actually an assistant pointed that out to me like a couple months ago hey you know i saw a doctor do this and i tried it and it worked so there you go that's good to know something something there i've just been ripping gloves every time (laughs) right exactly this is another thing that as i'm just experimenting with this but we do a lot of prf you know lots of like red tops usually for a single tooth or for wisdom teeth we try to put a prf clot in every 17 and 32 spot if we can but i started doing this thing where so i do red tops you know and you got the red blood cell layer at the bottom you got the you know, PRF clot in the middle, and then this like I guess you call it PPP, like platelet pour plasma on top. I have my assistants you know draw it up, spin it, and then they take it out and then they drop like a collagen plug on top, and that starts soaking up all of that PPP layer. And then when I'm ready for it for like a wisdom teeth example, I'll pull out the collagen and basically pack that along with the PRF clot into the socket. And it just, I don't know, it just seems like it's one more thing to help with clot formation and, you know, protect from pain and speed things up with healing. Any thoughts on that?
1: I think there is no reason that you should not do that. I mean, not that it's something that's commonly talked about, like, hey, this is the technique when you use PRF or PRP, take the triple P and do that. But Otherwise, you know the whole idea behind platelet poor plasma is that it doesn't have all the good stuff that you want, right, from what you're actually doing. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have anything, and certainly it's better, or at worst, equivocal. I mean, no one studied this directly that I know of, but at the very worst, it would be equivocal, if not better, to just doing what you do otherwise with gel foam or whatever. So, see, now you need to patent this and make it into its own system that you have to purchase
0: from Dr. Stukey to use. Exactly. Always, yeah, gotta think about stuff like that. Okay, well, those are two of my semi-pro tips that may or may not be of value. I'll try to throw one of those in on the beginning of podcasts that I have with you, Ben. Some of my other people I interview aren't worthy of discussing the pro tips just because they'll think I'm an idiot and you're always so gracious (laughs) and kind. I'll accept all the pro tips I can get that's awesome well good speaking of pro tips we got a lot of things to discuss here that can help oral max special surgeons with their spine health so making sure your spine lasts a long time as we know this is it's very very common for dentists surgeons oral surgeons to have back pain lower back pain and neck pain shoulder pain all From probably posture and holding positions for long times. I wanted to start out by giving you my story. I've kind of given bits and pieces of it on the podcast, but I wanted to give you a little more view. And I I don't know how much you know of my story, Ben, but I will promise you, Ben, this story is replete with mystery, with excitement, with sadness. By the time you're done, you'll be in the fetal position crying. So, I'm just trying to set the stage here. I've got my popcorn. So several years ago, about six or seven years ago, I got into training and doing some triathlons because that's something I always wanted to do. So running, swimming, biking, stuff like that. And I did, I was just doing sprint. I'm like, you know, I'm not like a David Goggins. I know some of guys who listen to this podcast even are doing Ironmans. I'm just not that tough, but I like doing sprints. So I, I had done a couple and I did a sprint triathlon on the island of Catalina. I don't know if you know where that is, but it's off the coast of California. And right when I finished the race, it was almost like after I took the last step of the race, like I've had the stabbing pain in the back of my lower back. And it was almost like a knife, like a hot knife was sticking in my back. And it's kind of weird. And you know, and I rested, tried to rest in it, resting it, icing it, things like that. And then it persisted for weeks and that turned into months. And about a year later, and, and pretty much every day I'd had this pain for a full year and been taking ibuprofen and stuff, you know, went to the doctor, someone recommended like a spine and sports medicine. I got a CT scan and uh, actually it was an mri at the time or a ct scan anyways it showed that i had tore my disc at the four five like clean through the disc and there's like you know fluid extruding and out the back and my five one disc was like flattened like a pancake and so i was like super depressed right seeing this I was like oh gosh and so my doctor was like, yeah, just try to not work so much, you know, take it easy. Probably this will scar down and the pain will go away. Okay, so I tried just taking it easy and doing core exercises, stuff like that, and it didn't go away. So another year went by and it was just a knife sticking in the back of my back. Just horrible pain. I mean, and I'm trying like everything, man, like anything you can think of physical therapy needling dry needling dry needles with electricity stretching the you know thing where you flip upside down and doing that strapping on straps and stretching your back like I mean cupping anything you can name of I did it short of like voodoo doctor type stuff and I got a stem cell injection and that didn't seem to help and then I heard of I started hearing more about a couple of people I knew had done these like a disc replacement in their back in Europe. And so I started talking to people about that. And I decided that that was better to a fusion because everyone I saw here was saying, you need to fuse it and stuff like that. And just bizarre. And the doctors I met here, they just didn't have a good answer. They were kind of all confused. Even the very experienced spine surgeons are just like, why are you having so much pain for so long? you know, and, and like looking at my x-ray, they're like, yeah, it looks bad, but not like that bad to have so much pain. And so for better or for worse, I ended up doing this disc replacement in my back, did that. And I was good for a few months, but then started hurting again, turned out the disc at my four or five level, like didn't fuse to the bone, like the titanium end plates. Cause it was like titanium end plates with a hard silicone center, you know, that's I don't know. They've been doing it for 20 plus years in Europe and had good results, but one of the discs didn't fuse and that just kept getting worse and worse. And I started getting burning in my legs, which I'd never had before. Finally, after like, you know, another year of pain and burning, getting worse, got a new CT scan showed that this disc was like doing micromotion, was damaging my vertebrae. Above and below, like big, huge pitting and holes in my vertebrae. It was bad, man. Like super, super gnarly stuff. And so, my spine surgeon here said, hey, you know, at first, she's like, we got to take the disc out. To put the disc in, you have to go in from the front. And to take it out, you have to go in from the front. And it's no small procedure to take this stuff out. And then he talked with a couple other colleagues that are in Europe and Australia, I guess. And they said, yeah, if I were you, just leave the disc in, but fuse the back around it. Don't touch it because there's potential for more damage. So that's what he did. He fused me at the four-five spot with some pretty robust plates and screws. And this was about two and a half years ago I had this fusion. And I can tell you, I did not know the meaning of pain until I was fused. Then the pain got so much worse and my burning and my legs going down both legs in front of my legs and migrating all around my legs and my back just lit me up every day. I was just burning so bad. So bad. In fact, that I had to wear these giant ice packs with me to work like behind my back and in front just to try to numb my whole body like from my spine down. I kid you not. I wore an ice pack every day. Huge ice packs, rotating them at work for a full year, 365 days. Like, and I know this is very rare. Like, you know, there's probably something when my genetics, I will tell you this, both my parents have had fusions. And so I'm very prone to, you know, spine injury and stuff, which I didn't realize when I was doing triathlons, probably shouldn't have done any of that. But so I go after a year and I have horrible pain after this fusion and tons of burning and my surgeon's like, gosh, yeah, I think we should just go in and remove it from the front now. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to be honest with you. Let's just take it out from the front. And I just didn't feel good about it. I'm like, this cannot be good, man. I'm already in so much pain. And I was mentioning this to a colleague of mine who I work with, a dentist, and he said, yeah. I also kind of mentioned to him that I felt like when I ate certain foods, like I had more burning in my legs and that was weird, right? And he said, well, I don't know, but my wife, who's also a dentist, she's just recently read this anti-inflammation book called The Plant Paradox by a cardiologist named Dr. Gundry. You know, why don't you read that? I would probably try to do anything you can before, you know, you get another surgery so i read this book by dr gundry he has a couple of them plant paradox energy paradox longevity paradox keto paradox he's saying the same thing in each book which is basically you know no wheat no sugars no processed food and just to stick with a very specific group of foods that are like known to be you know anti-inflammatory such as you know diets that are and a lot of this is based on those blue zones right like the people who live in in italy and costa rica and loma linda and it's like diet high in healthy fats like olive oil tons of olive oil walnuts avocados and then lots of good greens spinach cauliflower you know broccoli arugula stuff like that he talks about how there's certain vegetables and fruits that we should stay away from he says no fruit at all and that he calls tomatoes and cucumbers fruits so he says don't eat that stuff it can cause inflammation that one i haven't noticed too much difference with but i will say this once i started this diet after the first week of doing the diet i thought i was gonna die and i was like every took everything i had not to go to the chick-fil-a drive-through and get some more waffle fries with the sriracha sauce Somehow I made it past that because my pain was so bad. I had this tremendous motivator to stick to this diet. Oh, yeah. Oh, and he says lots of sweet potatoes, mushrooms, tubers. He calls it like the sweet potato family. Yeah, right. Okay, so I'm doing this diet and like slowly but surely I'm noticing less leg pain. I do a month of it and my leg pain is like, you know, it was maybe like burning was like at an eight and now it's like at a six. I'm like, that's weird. And I had a surgery date set to do, to remove the disc. And it was like a week before. And I like called my surgeon. Hey, man, I'm going to delay. I don't know what's going on, but I'm doing this diet. And it's somehow it's helping. I want to kind of give it some more time. And he's like, okay, Grant, you know, if it works, it works. I mean, I'm guessing at some point, I'll be back in my office needing to do this. And you know how surgeons are, right? If there's a, we're a hammer and we see a nail. And so that's kind of our only tool. And so for him, it's like, and you too. If someone told us, Oh yeah, I'm not gonna get my wisdom teeth out, I'm gonna eat some mushrooms and olive oil, we'd probably like think this person was bonkers, right? I would, yes. <laughs> exactly. So, so time goes on. Oh, and also I had to cut my work schedule down like significantly, like yeah, three sure. days a week instead of five. And like now I'm working nine to two with the patients spread out. I had to take like, you know, a couple months off because it got so bad. And I say all this with just like, you know, a monotone voice, but it's hard to explain like how difficult this was for me and how emotional and like how many days I cried myself to sleep because it was, it was horrible. Like, and my wife would just look at me and be like, Oh my gosh, it scared her. Cause she's like, yeah, be, I'm sure. You know, she's usually the one that cries and like, usually she thought I had my tear ducts removed when I started oral surgery, you know, and like she hasn't seen the side of me and she was trying to help and she, it was just very difficult. So as I talked about in the podcast, you know, I started switching sides. Yep. I did anything I can to keep my spine more upright, you know, and we'll talk about some more things like this, but this diet, I've, I continue to do it and I've, it's taken me, you know, a year and a half plus to keep refining it but like i can tell you now my leg pain is totally gone I never did the surgery that's what i was going to say you never did any other procedures huh no no other procedures i mean like yesterday i had a full day you know like nine to four and was just patient to patient to patient and and in my back was for sure aching after that but i could never could have done this like you know two years ago and so Definitely, I'm doing better. I'm back to exercising, you know, doing squats and all sorts of core building exercises and cycling and things like that. But as someone who has injured their spine and made some bad decisions as far as doing surgery, probably prematurely goes, I can tell you, Ben, never underestimate how important it is to take care of your spine. Cause if it goes bad, I mean, things can go downhill real fast. And I'm sure you've known people that had to end their career for, a neck issue or a back pain or, you know, numbness, do you have any experience with this type of pain or know anyone who has?
1: You know, luckily, I have not personally, but absolutely, I know individuals who have. And, you know, as you were describing, it's certainly, and it doesn't have to be, but it certainly can be multifactorial as far as genetic predisposition and then what were your activities and you're getting to the point of diet and other types of of hobbies and even one thing that you know you didn't touch on but has been shown too that it can totally affect low back and lower extremity radicular pain is emotional and psychological factors too huge effect on exacerbating or ameliorating pain it's interesting that you bring this up though because i do have a colleague that just last year underwent her 10th spinal surgery 10th spinal surgery and said of course as you would expect this one by far has been the worst one to recover from as you know you can imagine the more time that passes not only does the problem potentially worsen depending upon what's going on but also just going back in and reoperating and scar tissue and lack of vascularization and all of that so certainly i mean it is by far you know one of the I don't want to say the number one, but one of the number one complaints in general is something related to back pain, right? And not everyone has had this story and experience that you have to that severity, you know, by any means, but it is certainly something that almost everyone at some point in their life is going to get a little taste of. And some of us get lucky and we don't really think twice about it and we don't have a problem. And other people like yourself have a more significant issue and then really start to pay attention to changes, factors, alterations that can be used to try to not only improve things in the time being, but prevent this from occurring even at a worse stage 20 years from now.
0: Exactly. There's multiple studies that that have looked at what's the prevalence of back pain in surgeons or spine pain. For example, there's one done by Strauss and those guys at VCU in 2017, 153 surgeons they looked at, 32% indicated that they had pain and their spine had lasted longer than 2 weeks most was neck and lower back 84% of the practitioners they looked at stood as we know that's usually how we're trained is standing and so a small percent less than 20 is sitting but they said that of those standing you know more had low back pain and of those sitting more was neck pain and they said it was an interesting comment because uh, to transition to this topic 31% of practitioners indicated they used loops. However, those that use loops were more likely to report pain. I recently have done an episode on loops and using loops. And I mean, the vision is just so incredible, What, how much improved it is and things like that. But I also was using them for several months and started having neck pain and like, what the heck's going on? Shoulder pain and stuff like that. And I had to stop using them for a month or two, and then that went away. But that's another thing that's kind of plus or minus. And I think there was an Amos lecture talking about how loops can increase neck pain. <laughs> Do you have experience with loops at all?
1: Oh yeah, and you have to be very careful with loops. I agree completely. I mean, there's so many pieces that can complicate pain. I mean, one is the heaviness of the loops that you're using. And some of this goes to head and neck pain more than shoulder and neck pain, but the heaviness of the loops, the way that the frames of the loops are even fit to you. But then also, you know, if you think about it, I'm willing to suggest that there are many of us that had our loops calibrated initially for a certain focal distance. And then later on, you use them for a completely different purpose or a completely different aspect of surgery. And you don't go through the process of either getting new loops or getting that new focal distance changed, which absolutely defeats the purpose of trying to maximize your focal distance. Because the whole idea is that you want to be in this ergonomic position and be able to see magnified and focus at the location away from you that maximizes your posture and whatever procedure you're going to do. And, you know, it's tough because... Many of us do a lot of different procedures, and either you would need to have multiple sets of loops, or you would need to alter your posture when you're using your loops for different procedures. So absolutely, and I I have not heard that Amos podcast about the loops, but absolutely, loops can be something that certainly leads to worsening of posture and therefore worsening of pain.
0: Uh, I know that there's prism loops that, you know, you're supposed to be like yep. a 90 degree thing where your yep. neck is yep. back and you're exactly. kind of looking straight ahead. And I think that's got good potential. I really like the concept of it. I have a pair of those. And for me, it was almost like I was tipping my head back too much. And then that was causing the neck strain. I had to get them adjusted two or three times. And still, it's to the point where it's still painful. So I'm kind of exploring that. But I've heard people say loops help posture. Just if I could run through a list of things to improve your spine health, here's kind of what my list is. I'd like to get your input and see what your list is. Number one, I think is undeniable for all of us is just the amount of surgery we are doing. So for me, number one on my list is like not overworking or work less, right? Be careful with your schedule, you know, space people out so you have time to adjust yourself and if you need to stretch you know in your office or your bathroom whatever it is or take a walk we know that changing up your posture is important and I mean I'm doing as you know more like private practice tooth and titanium stuff and so my procedures are short right like at most an hour usually 10 to 20 minutes you're probably in a different realm where sometimes you can be holding a position for much longer than that. But that's number one on my list is like your schedule and not overdoing it with your body. So work less. Number two for me is diet, like I mentioned. And if any of our listeners are interested in that, let me know. I've like read tens of books on diet. The Longevity Paradox is the best one I've read. So that's what I'd recommend. But there's, I'm all about like trying to lengthen your life and all this stuff. And so really into those podcasts. Hey guys, real quick, KLS Martin is offering a 35% discount on my favorite KLS Martin instruments for everyday oral surgery listeners. So there's a link um, in the podcast notes with a full listing and a video highlighting some of the advantages of using KLS Martin instrumentation. Uh, To utilize this offer, use promo code STUKIFAVES with a capital S and a capital F. So capital S, lowercase T-U-C-K-I, capital F, lowercase a v s. And you can use that through your Kalos Martin sales rep or by emailing usa at kalosmartin.com. I handpicked these instruments based on the kind of favorite extraction instruments that I use on a daily basis. And um, I hope you enjoy them. Two, diet three for me was switching sides. I can't emphasize that enough. It was super important to, because I was talking to a chiropractor once and I was like, I did an x-ray and he's like, yeah, your spine is a little bent to the right. And I was like, what can I do about that? And he's like, the only thing you can do is start bending it to the left. And that's what got me thinking, why don't I switch sides? Because at least then I'm bending one way and then bending the other way. And, you know, I'm sure you've heard stories of like these guys that are in their 60s or 70s get a spine x-ray and their whole spine is like curved off to the right. All from from work, right? Have you heard stuff like that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So that's three, four. For me, was a big thing to help my spine and put less pressure on my spine because I sit now is I use a saddle seat with a back on it and I found I went through several seats I found one that was about 400 bucks which is pretty cheap usually these chairs can be like you know a couple thousand but I use this it's called the USA patented multi-adjustable saddle stool with backrest by Canewell, and you can get that from this site sithealthier.com. i am not sponsored by them at all i just found the seat and it's a great one so it might be sponsored by them if they get wind of this podcast that was nice (laughs) right (laughs) yes i'll put a link to that if anybody wants to but those are excellent seats the saddle and a backrest all this stuff is supposed to help decrease pressure on your spine compared to a flat seat and stuff like that that's four or five was being a lot more conscious of my positioning during surgery and I talked with this guest like a couple of, a year ago I think Gabby Tarani she was mentioning this where she said you know I've noticed when mentally when I'm trying to think okay how am I positioning myself I'll find that like my elbow and my shoulder is like up holding the Minnesota and like it doesn't need to be right and so I need to tuck my elbow in closer to my body and like and my shoulders are tensed up and they're hunched forward. Whereas if I think about it, gosh, I could really kind of relax my shoulders and not having them up. And, you know, there's things that we do that are so repeated over and over and over that we don't need to be doing that trying to keep your arms and everything in toward your body to minimize the torque that it puts on your spine is a big one. And so, whatever it takes for you to kind of be able to assess that, even if it's like telling the assistant, hey, can you watch me, you know, and see if there's anything you're noticing and then. I'll give you some feedback. I take, you know, some kind of brief walks and things, stretches during patients. So changing my position, which we talked about before, is a big one for me. And then like like I mentioned already, I do core exercises, squats, planks, lunges, cat, cow, the bird dog, all these things, crunches or side planks are all supposed to be very helpful. You mentioned the psychological aspect, and I've gotten into meditation and yoga and stuff like that, that. Because I can tell you about a thousand percent, I realized when my pain was so bad, I would go to this dark place in my mind where it's like all this regret. Why did I do this? You know, regretting everything. Like, why did I become a oral surgeon? Why did I do this back surgery? Why did I do triathlons? You know, and you can get so caught up in the focusing on the negative and it really does physically magnify pain and it makes things even worse for you. It's a real phenomenon. And so meditating, you know, counseling, therapy, all this stuff that can help you, you know, get rid of negative thought patterns actually has a physical, biological decrease in pain. So that stuff. And then just small things is just like, I had to stop doing projects at home. I'm like, I own, you know, two of every tool Home Depot sells. And I've always like done all my projects at home. And I just had to say, it was really my wife was like, you cannot do this anymore. And so just hiring those out and realizing, hey, do I want, you know, to practice oral surgery and keep my spine good? Or do I want to keep doing stupid stuff like, you know, lifting heavy bags of concrete or, you know, I have to limit even sports I do now, like skiing and things like that. Just anything that puts myself at risk. And it's, I will say, Ben, it's hard growing older because once we get into the 30s and 40s, that's when the most injury happens because we still think we're young and we're not mentally ready to like let go of things in our life, right? And we're like, and that's one of the hardest parts about having a big injury. That's just all of a sudden overnight. Now I can't do this, this, and this. And it's very depressing. But I think it's important to work with your significant other and say, okay, let's evaluate my life. And what are things that are putting me at risk of injuring my spine? What things do I need to let go of and move on from? Because trust me, it's way better to do that for now, then have a huge injury and then realize, okay, now let's stop, I don't know, lifting crazy weights in the gym and you know squatting several hundred pounds. So that's what I got. Ben, what is on your list? Oh, gosh. Well, I'll, I'll add some to that list. I have two
1: comments before the list about things you said that I was just going to add. First was you were talking about all the books. I remember a decade ago, my dad, and you may know this book as well since you've looked into these, my dad read the book Wheat Belly. I don't know if you know that one. Yep. Love it. Yeah, so he got on to Wheat Belly and then got onto this huge kick thereafter and has read a bunch of those similar books. The other thing, you were talking about getting in your 30s and 40s. I remember when I was younger, I asked my dad, I said, at what age is it that you started actually feeling old with like aches and pains and you couldn't do these things you wanted to do, back pain, like little injuries that would have resolved in a day or two took forever? And I remember he told me, without hesitation, he said, 35 says at age 35. And sure enough, the moment I hit 35, I remember it was exactly as he had described. And ever since then, it has been exactly the same. So I want to agree with you. When you get to your 30s and 40s, you think that it hasn't happened and it will happen. And when it does, even if it's not as severe as yours, you will really get on the bandwagon. But yes, let me add a couple things. I mean, you mentioned some of the things I already agree with. You know, you talk about alternating sides. I know when we had talked before about doing thirds, I alternate at least at the end of the case to complete the left side as well. I think that's been really helpful, not only for visual purposes, but also ergonomics. You know, the other thing in the operating room that I think has been really helpful in this, this actually was modeled by my fellowship director, Dr. Carlson, which is, you know, we get used to as residents only working on one side of the table many times because depending on what attending you're working with, they have a preference and they want to be on the right or the left. So when every time you work with them, you work on the other side because they have their preferred side. And after when I got into fellowship, I ended up working on the opposite side that I was used to with Dr. Carlson because he worked on the opposite side than I was used to. And then when I got into practice, I started doing that as well. Some of the cases I would work on one side, some of the cases I would work on the other side. And I'll tell you, it makes the surgery look totally different initially, right? Because you're so used to it. But I think it is helpful to do that because as you described, it's almost as if you are stretching and working the contralateral muscles so that you don't end up with this completely lopsided, as you said, muscular and spinal component, as we've all talked about with these radiographs on older individuals where, yep, over the years, it's just been this slow development. So I agree with that completely. You hit on exercise and stretching. I think one thing that many of us don't think about is that we're so focused on why I only got so much time to exercise. I need to do cardiovascular exercise, aerobic cardiovascular exercise. That is absolutely important for your cardiopulmonary status, but it is not going to do anything. And in fact, a lot of the studies show it worsens your other type of aches and pains. And that's why core exercises and strength training is so important. So I agree with that completely. I mean, many, many people, that are long term runners mm-hmm. then develop significant musculoskeletal problems, not only in their spine, but in their hips and their knees, and they have to stop running and they have to go to cycling or other things. And really, you know, there is long term damage from that too. And so all exercise is not the same, and you need to be including those core exercises or strength training. I agree with that completely. Just to add to what you said about, you know, the amount you work, I think it was your first point, you know, you were busy, you do a lot of time in the clinic or in the OR or whatever, and you need to be careful how many hours you're working and also how long the procedures are. Like you said, if you're doing short procedures or very long procedures, and it is interesting that when you look at back pain, for any reason, it has been associated with increased incidence in people that have overly strenuous work, but also in people that are completely sedentary. And so I think it's important that there is this balance with it. And so if you are someone that you have been working very pedal to the metal your entire career and you think, well, I'm just going to retire early and it'll be fine. Realize that it is still important to be doing these strength training core exercises, all that, because if you truly go sedentary, because now I've got back pain and I'm just going to quit and go sedentary. Going sedentary during any phase of back pain, acute, subacute, or chronic is totally contraindicated uh, unless you are truly incapacitated for a short period of time. It is never recommended as a long-term treatment for it. And then you touched on psychological, which I was going to mention as well. And I, I agree with you. I think all those things are very, very important.
0: Yes, I'm glad you also are valuing some of these things. I think the take-home message for me is you know, try to do what you can now to protect your spine. And I know this is one of the points I've hit many, many times on the podcast. So hopefully, we're not being too redundant here. We did a whole episode, my brother and I, on positioning in residency and how hard it is, right, to get good posture. And we established such poor posture in residency because for many reasons. You know, one is just like that's on the way, way, way back burner. The first thing we're thinking about is how to cut a flap, you know, and how to do this and that. And last thing we're thinking about is how do I protect my spine? And two, there's just less you can control because you're not the boss, right, in many instances. And so like you're saying, sometimes they force you to work, you know, on the left with things like that. Or sometimes they say, no, you can't have a chair or I don't know. But I think trying to do whatever you can in residency to establish good posture is important. And I would think a lot of attendings are open to maybe sitting or switching sides and things like that. So I think starting early is key here. protecting your spine and if if certainly knowing your history if you're you know you're prone to issues like this with your family history definitely take this seriously i also would say in my you know studies into health and diet there's so many studies coming out now that talks about how you know all these chemicals that are in our food and plastics there was a whole article last month in consumer reports on how to eat less plastic. I don't know. I get the consumer reports uh, because I love it. My dad got me onto that and I get their magazine every month and they rated all these foods and they tested how much plastic is in these drinks that are there. And like the number one food that had the most plastic in it or drink was a health drink, which I drink all the time, which is this fair life, like chocolate milk that you can get. It's like supposed to be ultra filtered. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like everybody loves it. It tastes good and it's you know healthy for you. But the container it's in has lots of plastic particles that get into the liquid. And so you're ingesting those and that you know can cause all this leaky gut and gut inflammation and stuff like that. You know, in some ways, Ben, I would say that I'm kind of fortunate to have suffered how I had because without this tremendous back pain and issues I had, I would not have been able to make the adjustment in my diet. Some people, I mean, most people, it seems like, have just incredibly robust genes, right? And they can just slam a freaking pizza pizza every night from Pizza Hut and followed up with chicken wings and a whole bottle of Coke. Not even Coke Zero, just just Coke. And I have a friend who's 50, and he every day drinks like six Mountain Dews, plain Mountain Dew, Baja Blast. I'm like, how are you doing this, my man? Just an animal just an animal destroying <laughs> it i mean to some of these people but i think in some ways that is kind of uh you have good genes and be able to tolerate chemical abuse but at some point probably going to catch up to you right and at some point thing bad things can go pretty quickly from bad to worse and so i don't think the best philosophy is well i'm just gonna eat what makes me feel good and if i f- don't feel bad i'm not gonna you know really stretch my diet I think it's important to realize that, hey, your diet is affecting your spine. It's affecting your bones, your muscles, any cartilage in your body. It's only going to benefit your long-term survival as a person and ability to work long as a surgeon if you are careful with your diet.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I always wish, Grant, that I could be like Winston Churchill and just smoke and drink all day, every day, and still run a country and be successful in World War II. Right. But the bottom line is, none of us except for him could have done that and made it out successfully. Our bodies would have been destroyed. And it's true. You got to pay attention to That you know, I just was going to make a comment. You're talking about the micro and nanoplastics, which is uh, such a hot topic now. You know, I saw a meme the other day that I think really rang true, which was it said my grandfather body was filled with lead my father's body was filled with asbestos and my body will now be filled with plastic that's true oh it's my just gosh. the next environmental chemical that we have found has become a huge problem or could become a huge problem yep
0: definitely a lot of good studies coming out and i think we live in an age we're lucky to live in an age that's so rich with information i mean we got audible books podcasts all sorts of info that's like Rapidly, exponentially, you know, is teaching people things, and those people are learning and researching. And so, I think our learning is going up and up. But I also, too, think that the technology and the stress that we're experiencing in our lives is like has this inverse relationship with our diet. And because as stress goes up and all these problems go up in our life, usually diet starts tanking, right? And you're like, The faster you're working, the less you're paying attention to what you're eating and you're just shoving a Snickers bar in your mouth or whatever it is, or a hamburger as fast as you can. And you know we need to be careful that doesn't get put on the back burner. A pro tip I have that worked well for my diet is using these prepared meals. I use this company called Factor. So they make these factor meals. Oh yeah, I've heard about them. I haven't tried them. Have you? Yeah. I think they're great. They're like pre-planned meals and you can go online and select what you want, but it's usually like a very clean meat or chicken or turkey or even vegetarian paired with a vegetable like cauliflower, broccoli. And it's like, it's nice because it's just like a defined amount of food. It's, it's very clean. It's, you know, usually about somewhere between four to 600 calories. And it's, it helps with portion control, but also just eating healthy. And so for me, that's kind of what I needed was to be a, like, okay, I'm only eating this for lunch today, right? We, we get into these zones where we're not really paying attention and shoot, you can pound you know a couple thousand calories in one sitting if you're Absolutely. not paying attention. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And even so, if you're eating overall healthy stuff, Grant, I mean, portion control, as you pointed out, is a huge thing. And it's been shown over and over again, the more you eat. The worse your body does and that's such a good point that it's not just hey you can eat a ton but make sure it's just these things and not these things that portion control piece is so critical i'm glad you brought that up
0: yeah on that same note like as we know we've probably all, all heard of intermittent fasting and how that is the goal of it is just caloric restriction which is what you're saying and there's tons of research from many people one that I like is this Walter Longo, he's at USC, but he's been doing research, he's Italian on that group in Italy from Sardinia and how they do caloric restriction, but he and others recommend doing these like frequent, he says five-day fast, uh, and he does like fast mimicking diets where he has like you're still eating small amounts of healthy foods. So that could be something, I try to do a three-day water fast like every six months, which for me is pretty gnarly like the only water for three straight days man you got to be like a freaking david goggins warrior to do stuff like that are you still working
1: during these days
0: <laughs> yeah still oh working Oh my gosh but yeah full days hercules hercules yes but my metabolism just slowed down a lot as after i hit 40 and so it's just not as critical so there's that. Dr. Gundry recommends he calls it the sixteen eight rule or fasting, where he recommends fasting every day for sixteen hours and then only eating in an eight hour window. And so I do that. The only way I can do that is if I stop eating at dinner, like right around you know seven eight p.m. and then I don't eat till lunch the next day, so I skip breakfast. There's some studies and kind of some controversy around not eating breakfast. Some say it's good, some say it's bad. But for me, it works. And unless I do a big workout in the morning, then yeah, I'm going to have a protein drink or something with that.
1: Yeah, I like that. Grant. So I actually, I accidentally started intermittently fasting a number of years ago because of surgery. And I would in the morning get up and I'd have an early OR case. And like I was up the night late before doing stuff. And then I would just get up and go. And then before you know, it, you're also missing lunch because you're in the OR and all this stuff. So I started accidentally doing it. And I was like really stressed out at the time because I had young kids and was, you know, in an academic medical center and all this stuff and I was like, man, I am going to go to my PCP appointment and my vitals and my lipid panel and everything is going to be terrible because I am just so like out of sorts. I'm not like I was before. And it was the best lab report I have ever seen in my life. And I thought about it for a week and I was like, what the heck? how is this the best it's ever been and sure enough i looked back and i said oh i've been intermittent fasting and i haven't even been thinking about it so i do it on purpose now i think the sixteen-eight is what i have typically gone by as well as you mentioned and i routinely now again i agree the whole breakfast thing is still questionable i think but i usually don't eat breakfast and i many times eat between about 2 p.m and 8 p.m and otherwise i just drink black coffee and water the rest of the day and i agree with you i think it takes some, like you mentioned with the diet it takes some time right you can't just do it and expect that in a couple of days you're going to be fine with it just like starting an exercise regimen or getting into a new habit right we all know the 21 days to start a good habit but i agree with you once you're in it it's not as hard as you might think if for those of you who haven't tried something like that before
0: yeah and i think there's all sorts of tips and things you can do to keep it going you certainly have to have a good motivation because if You know, you don't want it to be one of those New Year's resolutions where you just you're doing it because you think you should. So have a good motivation. You know, there's all sorts of research, too, on how important it is to involve other people in your life about your health changes. Like tell your spouse, hey, I really want to do this. And, uh, you know, people at work, uh, hey, I'm doing intermittent fasting or I'm eating healthy. And it's surprising how many people will kind of collaborate and help and come together to help you with your goals when you're doing it. I think as men, we're more you know, prone to be quiet and not mention stuff like this. And it's just harder when you're kind of walking the road alone, I feel like.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's also harder. I feel like not only are men more quiet and internal about those things, but it also makes it hard when you haven't acknowledged that. And then you later feel like you're letting some of your friends down if they ask you to do things that would break your Diet plan or whatever it is. Right. And so I think it's really nice to collaborate with individuals, and say, Hey, I'm doing this. I still want to do X, Y, Z, but, you know, maybe the timing that I'm available is going to be different or, or something like that. Cause otherwise you feel like you are hiding it from them. And then you either are feeling bad be- because you're letting them down or you're feeling bad about yourself because you're letting yourself down.
0: Yep. 100%. That's a good point. I like that yeah and making sure everybody knows being gracious and kind about it stuff like that is is really helpful. So I think touched on some good points about spine health. Certainly this isn't completely comprehensive. There's a lot of great articles on prevalence on the role of, you know, exercising, yoga, of diets is, is slowly coming out specific to dentists and oral surgeons and so I hope our guests just can keep in mind that because I know a big portion of our listeners, probably over the majority, are residents. And as a resident, you just feel like Superman, right? Like you're indestructible and you can eat, you know, you can pound all these Baja Blasts every day with some Taco Bell and just feel like a million bucks. But once you hit, I agree, 35 to me, it was like a very distinct year where things kind of started Turning down. And I feel like that probably would have been pushed a lot further on if I had been eating healthy and taking care of myself before that. And so, yeah, just things to consider. I'll put some links to some articles I found in our show notes about spine type stuff, but try to do that. You know, be careful with what you're working with, have a good diet, switch sides, you know, stand, sit, change your position. Take care of your mental health. Any other things you want to throw in there?
1: No, I think that's great, Grant. I think we've done a lot of good things today.
0: Sounds good. Well, let's reconnect. Please be looking for some pro tips in your own life, you know, in your own career and what you're doing on a daily basis. Think, I wonder I wonder if Grant knows about this secret. I'd like to tell him about this next time.
1: I will. I'll contemplate some pro tips over a fair life chocolate milk. We'll see what comes of that.
0: Yes. Please don't drink too much plastic, Ben. That's my goal for you. Okay. You're the man. Well, thank you so much. And I hope you have a good rest of the day. Let's reconnect soon. You too, Grant. Have a good one. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. For more information on these podcasts, please visit everydayoralsurgery.com. I love feedback and would be very grateful if you would reach out to me via my email, grantstuky at gmail.com, and let me know what you thought of this episode. Or you can text me at 720-441-6059. Additionally, if you have any topics you'd like to hear about, or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, please, please email or text me. I found many of my interviewees through people who have been contacting me have been listening and I've gotten so many great uh, ideas for more podcasts and that's what helps keep keep the podcast rolling so really appreciate you making that extra effort and helping me out with uh, feedback and knowing what to do next on the podcast thank you so much